opening, go ahead and be opening your Bibles up to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And as you're doing that, um, I'm realizing that my iPad did not update correctly, so my notes don't have some of my stuff. Great. That always makes it exciting. Um, and there we go. Okay. So as you guys are opening up, you know, one of these days I'm going to get to the point where I'm so well prepared that I just have my message memorized, but today is not that day. Um, I, I, I was scrolling through Instagram this week, and I ran across a clip from a pastor by the name of Craig Groeschel. Now, I'll be honest, I don't always agree with everything that, that Pastor Craig says or does, um, but I was struck by something he pointed out, and this wasn't original with him, but he said, Christmas is interesting because it is a magnifier. So Christmas is a magnifier. So in other words, if life is going well, if you've got young kids that are excited about Christmas and all, yeah, it's stressful, but that stress is kind of fun because you're going to have that fun of watching them open their gifts or you know, going and seeing relatives that you may not have gotten to see much recently. And so it's kind of a magnifier of the good times as you celebrate that. But if it's not a good time, it's a magnifier of that as well. For some folks, Christmas is a season that makes loss very poignant. It's a season that highlights loneliness or relationship strife or disappointments or things like that. And, and as you hear all these people saying, oh, I'm so busy, you realize, well, you know, I don't have this to do this year because this person's passed on or this relationship has been different or, or things like that. And, and Christmas can magnify that. So it can be a great thing or it can be a really hard thing. In the middle of either of those, what I want to highlight for us this morning is what Craig started pointing us to last week, and that is that there is a way to find peace at Christmas. Now, Craig, in his message last week, talked about some practical tips about how we can find peace as Christmas magnifies all that's going on. We can find peace by uh, several practical tips that he gave us, but then ultimately that peace is found in Jesus. And so this morning, what we want to do is take a little bit closer look at who Jesus is. What we're doing is we're going back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah to, to get a, a picture from Isaiah about how God worked in and through uh, this one that would be known as the Prince of Peace. So let's set the stage a little bit. We always want to make sure, especially when we're looking at an Old Testament prophecy, that we preach this in its proper context, okay? What that means is we, we don't want to just make a verse say something that it doesn't when you take it out by itself. You know, it's like those sound bites you hear on the news where somebody just pulls one sentence out of something, and it's totally not what the guy was saying, but they make it sound like it. We sometimes do that with the Bible. We'll take a passage that we really like, and we'll pull it out of its context, and so we'll make it say things that it doesn't. So this morning, let's put this in context. Isaiah is a book that's all about the fact that God had this special group of people that he had set apart, the nation of Israel, and that the people of Israel were supposed to honor God as their one true God. They were supposed to follow him. They were supposed to do what he said. This was a unique relationship that God had with this nation that was unlike any other nation on earth. However, the people of Israel just continued to rebel against God. They chased after other gods. They did what they wanted instead of what God called them to do. And so eventually God reached the point where he had promised this was going to happen. And he said, look, I'm letting you be carried off into captivity I'm, you, you need to get your head screwed on straight because you guys are just out of whack, out of line, right? So what he's been prophesying over these last few chapters is about the Assyrian captivity. The nation of Israel actually got divided into two different groups. There was the northern tribes that was called Israel or Samaria, and then there's the, the bottom two tribes there of Judah and uh, Benjamin, right? All right? 
Yeah, okay, I blanked, sorry. And that one's not in my notes, all right? So, so this is about when the northern kingdoms got pulled off and, and taken into captivity by the Assyrians, okay? And he's been giving them really, really bad news about this whole process. But in the middle of all of that, he gives them this glimpse of Isaiah chapter 9 of the fact that the darkness that they'd been experiencing through the, what would go on with the Assyrians wasn't going to last forever. So Isaiah 9 begins opening, those who are wandering in darkness have seen a great light. And then as he goes through, he makes this promise about a child that will be born. Now, in Isaiah's day, the nearest fulfillment of this was going to come through Hezekiah's sons and what God was going to do in their lifetime. However, what Isaiah could not have been fully aware of when he was writing this was God actually had somebody in mind that was more than just a human child born to Hezekiah. This would actually be ultimately fulfilled in this baby that we celebrate at Christmas time. The one who makes all of this worthwhile, who uh, didn't exactly look like that, right? But this one that we celebrate who was born and laid in a manger, this one that makes Christmas all about, right? this one who would be the ultimate prince of peace. Now, as we look at this, as we go through it and go through the, this passage, I, I want us to do several things. Um, first off, let's read the passage and then we're gonna break through it. Um, by the way, how many of you guys like Handel's Messiah, right? Okay, so you've already got this passage memorized. You don't even need to look at it. In fact, you're gonna read it in like a sing-songy voice as you go through it, right? Um, the CSB translates it a little bit differently, so that makes it a little easier to break out of the rhythm, but... Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. Okay, you guys following? All right, right. <clears throat> his name will be Khalid. No, uh, he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah was prophesying that there would be a child born for us a son given to us. The government would rest on his shoulders and he would be known as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. Now, those are neat names, aren't they? But let's try to get a better picture of what all this means. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you this morning. Um, you guys know on Wednesdays, I get together with a group of other pastors and we work through our sermons together and try to uh, say, you know, hey, what do you see when you read this passage? What do, you, what do you get out of this? What would you say about this? As we were talking through this passage over the last couple of weeks with our sermon planning guys, I became aware of a, a book uh, on the Sermon on the Mount called uh, The Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing by an author named Jonathan Pennington. If you like reading deep, critical commentaries, that is a tremendous one. I've just read two chapters out of it and I really like it. But in that, he makes a very interesting case for peace. And I'm going to be honest that I'm still filling this picture out in my head. And so if today, I've, if I get done talking and it doesn't make any sense, just smile and nod on the way out. Um, but at the same time, I'm hoping that, that what we'll see through this is that peace is far greater than what we usually think of, Okay. In fact, if you walk out of here with nothing else, I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to trust more deeply the Prince of Peace when you see what the kind of peace is that we experience now and that he's ultimately going to bring. Let's, let's try to make sense of that. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about that idea of Prince of Peace first, and then we're going to come back and explain how he can be the Prince of Peace because of all of these other titles that Isaiah gives him here. So first of all, let's think about peace. When you think about peace, what do you think? I, the audience participation time, okay? What do you, what's the first thing that comes into your mind when you think peace? 
calmness, tranquility, no wars, no conflict, right? In English, our definition of the word peace is that idea of absence of conflict or even inner tranquility. Um, I, I know this is going to date me and put me in my total nerd category, but I always think about the scene from Independence Day. If any of you guys remember the movie, right, the, the uh, alien takes that guy and is using his voice box, and he says, no peace, right? Because the aliens came for war. There was no peace was never an option, right? So we think of peace, we think of, of inner tranquility. We think of that kind of, you know, the, the, you might have a picture somewhere that's got like still water, right? You know, that, that's kind of the idea of peace for us. You ever get bored thinking about that? I mean, yeah, there's times when it would be nice to not have the conflict that we have, but, but that sounds kind of boring. I mean, if we're really honest, like just sitting around staring at each other forever, that just doesn't sound like much fun. So when I think about the Prince of Peace, there's something interesting here. As you look at the way that the Bible describes the blessed life that God calls his people to live, the picture of peace that he paints is not simply the absence of conflict or of tranquility. It's actually the idea of human flourishing. The idea of the Prince of Peace is not just that kind of negative that brings us back to zero, right? There's no more conflict. I have this inner tranquility. But actually, it's the joy. It's the abundance. It's the, the happiness, the, the laughter, the, the full aspect of what it is to be human. The, the thing that God created us to be. The Prince of Peace comes not only to secure the, that tranquility, but also the joy and the abundance, so when we think about peace this Christmas, I think sometimes our peace is too quiet, right? Now, guys, listen, I understand. In the midst of the chaos, there are those moments, like after you get the kids to bed, right? And even the dogs laying down for us, it's, it's, there's this moment where it's just quiet. Or you think about, you know, that, that moment when you step outside after heavy snow, there's no traffic on the road and everything's just that, that muffled quiet. There, there's a beauty to that. But at the same time, that's not what life is about. Life, life is about living. Life is about seeing God at work. Life is about following him and living like Jesus. And that's peace too. So this morning, as we think about the idea of, of the Prince of Peace, what I want us to see is that our picture of peace is too small. The, the silent night is too refined of a picture. The peace that Jesus comes to bring us is not simply the absence of conflict, but rather the abundant life that he's promised his disciples. Now, why is that important? Because until Jesus comes back fully, we're not going to fully experience that tranquility, right? That, that absence of conflict, we're going to have conflict with people, with ourselves, with the world around us until Jesus comes back and fully finalizes what he started during his earthly ministry. So if we're looking for peace and saying, God, I need your peace, and all we're looking for is tranquility, then we're going to have a hard time because we may not find it. But if peace is the joy and the, the purpose and the meaning and the abundance that comes from, from filling out those fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if that's peace, then I can find that peace in the midst of the chaos. I can find that peace in the midst of the disappointment. I can find that peace when things are going absolutely bonkers around me and I can't find my footing and find that moment of tranquility. I can find peace because there's a prince of peace who came to give me that. 
I don't know if that's making any sense to you. Like I said, I'm starting to just kind of fill this picture out of my own head. But I'm hoping that what this is doing is broadening our understanding of this Prince of Peace, not just of the gentle, lowly, mild, which he is, but also of the victorious conqueror who leads us in victory and celebration for all that he's accomplished. Now, again, I want you to hear this, and we'll see as we go through this. This does not mean life is going to be easy. This does not mean that life is going to be pain-free. The peace that we have sustains us in that pain. It carries us through the difficulty. It carries us through the confusion. So, So let's see more about this Prince of Peace and see if that can make more sense as we go, okay? So the first thing that Isaiah tells us about this Prince of Peace is that he is, number one, going to be a child. Well, duh, okay? I mean, last I checked, Everybody was born except for Adam and Eve, right? Ever since then, everybody was born as a child. I had a friend who used to start up his testimony about, he'd say, uh, I was born when I was very young in Santa Ana, California. Um, you should have been born very young. Um, it's a joke. It's right. Y'all awake this morning? We good? Okay. By the way, before we get any deeper into this, I forgot to mention, we had our Christmas festival yesterday, and it was a blast. We had a great time um, to celebrate what God did. We had over 80 guests, or around 80 guests was what we counted. Um, we may have missed a few here and there. And so as preachers, we're always going to give it math. So we had 165. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we had 80 folks that came through from the community. And in addition to that, we had 55 volunteers who were here to be a part of what God was doing. That is exciting and something to celebrate. So um, I know that uh, Teresa Repass, Anita Haley, I know Kelly King was involved, and there were a number of others. Some of you guys fixed food, you bought supplies, you set up, you tore down and cleaned it. Thank you to everybody who was involved. That was awesome. So just to celebrate that. Why would we do that? Because there was a child who was born for us to be the Prince of Peace, and we want the world to know. Now, this child was born as a baby. Now, why is that significant? Because of who this child is. You see, this child is not simply just some person. God's ultimate fulfillment of this promise comes in Jesus, who was born as a baby. And we know, and we'll talk more in a second about the fact that Jesus is God. So when we're talking about a child who was born to us, we're talking about the fact that God was willing to take on flesh, right? Like, that's so common for us to say that we forget the impact of that. The Prince of Peace that we're celebrating this Christmas is the God who came to us, the God who who actually became flesh for us. That means that the God of the universe who would secure the peace that we desperately needed actually used to skin his knee when he was learning to walk. The God of peace had to have his diaper changed, needed someone to feed him, couldn't hold his own head up because he united himself with us. There is no other God who would do this like this. A God who would come to us when we turned away from him. You see, the Bible says it's our fault that we don't have a relationship with God. We chose to disobey. We chose to do what we wanted to do instead of what God wanted us to do. And so what Jesus did in coming to earth was take on flesh so that he could walk with us. 
Now, he's God. He knew exactly what it's like to be human. Yet the Bible says as he walked around with us, he experienced every kind of temptation that we experience, yet he never sinned. He went through all of the pain, all of the heartache. And guys, remember, when we look at the Gospels, we see primarily about three years of Jesus's life. But he lived like 30 other years that we know almost nothing about. Jesus walked around in a, in a human form, like not just pretending to be human, but actually in flesh, incarnated. He walked around for 30 years living life like us. And then for the last three, he starts demonstrating God's power and starts showing the kind of God that, that his kingdom is coming with the miracles and the teaching and the way that he loved the, the oppressed and sought for justice and, and all of the things that Jesus did and demonstrating how his kingdom would be different. But this child was an actual child, God in the flesh. Now, we've already hinted at this. The, the second thing that we see here is that a son would be given to him. Now, let's be real clear here. Isaiah did not know the fullness of what God was saying here through him as he wrote that. Isaiah would not have understood that the child that he was writing about would one day be the son of God taking on flesh. He's not making a Trinitarian statement here, but for those of us who know the way the story ends, we know that this son that was given to us was not just a boy child, but he is the son of God, which is the title for the second person of the Godhead, who is God himself. So here we go. We've got this child who is born as God the Son. Now, as we think about the fact that this child came for us, the ultimate prince of peace was the Son of God. The child that God was sending was fully human, but also fully God. That's why John would write it this way. The word, talking about Jesus, talking about this child, became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this isn't just any son. This is the son who came to make the invisible God visible, right? The Bible says it goes on in that same chapter and says that no one has seen God at any time, but it says that Jesus revealed him to us. There are aspects about God that nobody had seen or understood until God took on flesh and demonstrated himself to the world through his miracles, through his teaching, through the way that he loved, the way that he lived, the way that he confronted sin and confronted injustice and did all of those things to demonstrate that he was a different kind of king. He came to secure our peace. This child is the son of God. By the way, if you pull that verse back up just a second there, it says he's the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. If you're not familiar, by the way, if Christianity is new to you, I know that some of the things we're saying seem like we're speaking doublespeak. How can you be the son of God and still be God? Uh, there's this beautiful doctrine that we call the Trinity. It's a teaching that the Bible kind of gives us as we pull out um, that, that shows us that, that there's three persons within the Godhead that are all one person or one being, excuse me. So you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are co-equal. They're all equal. They're, they're all fully God, yet at the same time, they have different roles within the Trinity. So you have the Father, and then you have the Son of God and the Holy Spirit who works differently. But in all of these things, in this great mystery, what you see is that as he was coming to demonstrate the Father to us, you see he was full of grace and truth. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. 
Grace is God being so generous to us when we deserve wrath, when we deserve to be separated. And truth is the idea that there is a right, there is a wrong. Jesus is both grace and truth. It's interesting too. I heard uh, J.D. Greer, pastor down in North Carolina, mentioned this in a sermon recently. He said, look at the word order there. We believe that God inspired the very words of Scripture. And so if that's the case, this is the same word order in Greek. He leads with grace and then truth. Isn't that interesting to notice? He's a God who forgives and then calls us to obey. You see, so many of us have this idea of, I need to clean myself up to get right with God. I need to try really hard and do good things and start going to church and and start reading my Bible, and then God will love me. Well, the message of, of Isaiah and the message of the gospel is that God loved you first. So he came as this baby, as God in the flesh. He came to rescue you because he's a God of grace and a God of truth. He came to offer forgiveness and call you to live as a part of his kingdom in a new way, unlike anything the world had ever seen. This is our Prince of Peace. Now, as the Son of God, he's also supremely qualified to be the next thing that Isaiah says, and that is the leader. The leader. Here it says, the government will be on his shoulders. Now, again, the nearest fulfillment of that prophecy was in Isaiah's day with Hezekiah's children and the way that the government of Israel would rest on their shoulders. But we know the ultimate fulfillment that's applied to Jesus later on is that he would have all of the government authority in all of the world placed on his shoulders. Some have said this is a picture of the robe that a king would wear that Jesus wears the government authority, the authority over all of creation like a robe. That, or others have suggested it's the idea of the weight of it on his shoulders, as Jesus shoulders the weight of responsibility for governing the entire universe. Now, that's awesome. This baby, as the Son of God, would one day carry the weight of the world on his shoulders, the weight of all of creation on his shoulders. But here's the thing. We've seen that when people get power, often they become corrupt, right? That's the old adage of absolute power corrupts absolutely. So how can we trust that Jesus is going to be okay? Like, he has the most absolute authority. How can we trust that that's going to be all right? Well, because of these other attributes we see. You see, first we find that he is wise. He's wise, right? The Bible here says that he is the wonderful counselor. Now, depending on your translation, some put a comma there, some don't. Um, Any way you cut it, everything about Jesus is wonderful. It's more beautiful, it's more glorious, it's more incredible than anything you could imagine. But if you put the two together, the wonderful counselor is the idea that he has all knowledge to know everything that needs to happen and knows when to do what with it. Okay, now let's think for a second. How many of you have gotten frustrated because you typed something into Google and it, it brought up all kinds of things, but it totally misunderstood what you were asking for, right? If you're an IT professional, you know the only reason that you're an IT professional is because you can Google better than everybody else, right? You just have this Google foo. You know how to find it. It's like Kung Fu only with Google because you're trying to get Google to tell you. Well, Google knows everything, right? But sometimes Google doesn't know how to do what it needs to with it. Some of you guys have been seeing uh, the trends recently where people are having AI write scripts or make 
paintings or things like that. And, and you look at it, and it's like, well, 90% of this picture looks okay, except for the fact that like you've got this M.C. Escher-like bench that only has like three legs, and none of them quite touch the ground. And you know, it just doesn't look right. Because as, as neat as AI is, it's not God. It has this data set, and it doesn't really know what to do with it. It's one thing to know all kinds of information. It's another thing to know what to do with it. So when we're talking about Jesus as the Prince of Peace, first off, we recognize he knows everything that is knowable. That's what the Bible teaches as you look throughout it, that God is omniscient. That means God knows everything that can be known, God knows it. That's mind-boggling. But beyond that, he is the wonderful counselor who knows how all of these threads that he's been weaving are coming together into the tapestry of history to be able to glorify him. He knows how every brushstroke of your life is painting this picture that will bring him the most glory and honor and will be for your ultimate good. God knows all of this. And as the wonderful counselor, he can be the prince of peace because he can say, I know how it's all going to work. I know what's going to take place. I'm working all of these things through because I'm the wonderful counselor. So here at Christmas, if you're in that difficult season of loneliness or of pain or of disorientation or whatever it is that you're going through, know that the Prince of Peace says, I can help you flourish in this. I've designed you for this because I'm weaving all of these things together and I know exactly what I'm doing. By the way, knowing stuff is great. Being able to do something about it is something different, isn't it? That's why it says he's not only wise, but he's powerful. He's the wonderful counselor. But he's also the mighty God. How many of you have watched a car accident that you saw coming, but you couldn't do anything to stop it? You know, you watched and you saw this guy pulling out and you saw this guy coming and he wasn't going to stop, but there wasn't a thing you could do to stop it. There are some folks out there who have this idea of God. They may acknowledge that God knows how everything could go, but they think that God doesn't actively intervene to stop it. And honestly, if we're, if we're going to be transparent this morning, there may be moments where you wonder, God, you could have stopped that. God, you could have kept that from happening. I don't understand why you didn't. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I imagine that there's some folks in here this morning who are asking that question. And I want to be really careful as I handle this. The first thing that I want you to hear from me is, I am sorry. I don't want to in any way, shape, or form minimize the pain that you're going through. I don't know why. I don't know what. But here's what I do know. There was a time when I was a kid when my mom and dad pulled me out of an advanced class and put me into a regular class. Now, for those of you who don't know me well, I like school. I'm pretty good at it. I put a lot of worth in, especially as a kid, in my school performance. I did not understand why my mom and dad pulled me out of that class. I could do the work, and I didn't know why mom and dad thought I was too dumb to do that. And that hurt me deeply. I remember crying about it. I remember being upset about it, being so confused. 
Here's what I didn't know. Christiansburg's a small town. My mom and dad knew that teacher from outside of school. She was the only one who taught that class. My mom and dad had had conflict with that teacher. They knew that if I was in her class, there was a high likelihood that she would take out her aggression at my mom and dad on me. And they knew that there was no way I could get a fair grade in that class because of what was going on. Now, as a kid, my parents couldn't tell me that. They couldn't have explained that to me. It would have been inappropriate. It would have been something I would not have been able to handle. But they knew what they were doing. And it hurt. And I didn't understand it. But there was a reason why they did. Because they loved me enough that they wanted me to succeed. Now, if I've got an awesome mom and dad. Some of you guys know them. They're fantastic. They're not perfect. If imperfect earthly parents will make those decisions to say, I know you don't understand this, but it's because I love you that this has to happen. Can't we allow the wise, powerful God of the universe to do the same? You and I may never know why God did or did not do something. But God is big enough that we have to allow him the right to do that. And not just allow him the right, but trust him in the middle of it. You don't have to like it. You know, you're not not sitting there necessarily giving thanks because everything seems to be falling apart or whatever it is. But to say, God, I know. I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. It hurts. I'm confused. I'm disoriented. I I just, but I know you know what you're doing and you're able to see it through. I'm not going to understand it. I may not like it, but I'm trusting you. That's where we can find peace. Peace doesn't come when you know why. Do you realize that? Like, if, if I tell you, if, I, if I, God gave me some insight into that thing that you're facing, and I said, this is why that God's doing this. He's trying to develop this part of your character, or he's working six stages ahead that you don't even see. He's working in this person's life, which had to get you to this place. It wouldn't make a difference. Because you'd sit there and say, well, that's not fair. He could have done that through this, or he could have done that through this, or he could have, no, no, no. So why does it make it better? What makes it better is trusting in the fact that there is a God who loves me so much. He's designed me to flourish in his kingdom, in his life. Now, again, that's not not the picture that we have of the big house on the hill and everything going wonderfully. It's the idea of being following through his purpose and living like Jesus. Look at Matthew 5 through 7 at some point for a good picture of what it looks like to live that flourishing kind of life. Or Psalm chapter 1. Those are the things that God's created us to do and to be. But he's accomplishing those things even in the midst of the pain. And so we've got to trust and lean into it and say, God, I know that you're wise. I know that you're powerful. I know you can do this, and I'm trusting you and finding peace in who you are when I can't find peace in what's going on. Because he is our prince of peace. There's one other thing that he says here. The CSB translates this, the eternal father. 
Now, again, he's not making a Trinitarian statement here. He's not saying that Jesus and the Father are equal uh, in in the sense that they're the same. They're they're co-equal, but they're not the same. What he's saying here is actually uh, a church father, one of the early guys that was one of the young first Christians that was kind of figuring out how to how to parse all this stuff out. The idea of eternal father is that he's the father of the new age, okay? He is the source of this kingdom that's coming. Jesus is the the father of a kingdom that will be eternal. He's the one who's starting it. Here's what we see. God made a promise to a guy named David who was one of Israel's kings. He made a promise that David would have a son who would reign on that throne forever, And he'd had different people who'd fulfilled part of that. But what we find when Jesus comes is he's the one who reigns on the throne of David forever. So he's the eternal one who's starting this new kingdom that's different and will last forever. So here's what this tells me. The Prince of Peace that I'm trusting in at Christmas is a human baby who knows what it's like to be human. He's also the son of God who shows God's power on earth and inaugurated a kingdom through his death, burial, and resurrection that gives us peace with God and it will ultimately bring priests to the entire universe. So right now, he's ruling over creation as the one who is wise, the one who is powerful, and the one who'll be doing that forever. So not only does he know what he's doing, he has the power to do it and he's gonna do it forever. That's a peace that only this Prince of Peace can bring. It's not temporary. It's not nearsighted. It is a wise, powerful, forever kind of peace. Now again, life right now is not tranquil. I was talking with a a lady yesterday who is a counselor in the area and she was talking about you know, how she and all the other counselors that she knows are completely booked right now. Because during the pandemic, everybody was so anxious and ran at such a high emotional level that now that we've kind of come through some of those things, we can't spool back down. We're still kind of on edge and on high alert as a society because there was so much that took place. And one of the things that we need to turn to and, and understand the only true solution to that anxiety, the only true solution to that is a relationship with Christ. Now, again, clearly, guys, listen to me. That does not mean that you don't need to go see somebody and talk through some of these things. That does not mean that you may not need medication to help your body to get sorted back out. But what it does mean is that the ultimate solution to bring us lasting peace is found in resting in the Prince of Peace. He's a child who is the Son of God, who grew up to love us so much that he would demonstrate God's kingdom on earth. Now, guys, when he was ministering, he was showing us some of the best parts of the kingdom. I mean, he was, he was reaching out to those that everybody else overlooked and he was healing their diseases. He was raising the dead. He was showing the abundance of his kingdom as he took little things and multiplied them so that you could feed thousands of people with just a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. He was showing this incredible abundance. He was showing the joy that came through his kingdom as he created wine at the wedding. He was doing all of these things and giving us a taste of what was to come. So as he started this kingdom off, through his death, his burial, and resurrection. Yes, he made us a way for us to have peace with God through his sacrifice on the cross. 
and we come into his kingdom to start living that out now. We get tastes of it now, but in the moments we don't get that tranquility, we know we have peace with God, and we know that we have this God who's created us for joy, who's created us with a purpose, who is wise, who is powerful, and who is eternal. So as you're looking for peace at Christmas, I hope that you find it. The only place you're really going to find it is by trusting the Prince of Peace. Bow your heads with me this morning. Close your eyes. As we've gone through this morning, is there something that has stood out to you where God has reminded you that you need peace? Maybe for some of you, you have been trying to find that peace in anything else. You've been trying to find it in your job, in your family, in food, in alcohol, in drugs. And those are the big things we often think about, but maybe you work out too much. Maybe you've been trying to find peace by just numbing yourself by scrolling Instagram or Reddit or Facebook or something like that. Maybe... Maybe you've been trying to find peace by just pouring yourself into your job to, to keep that voice quiet that nags at you in the back of your head. Can I encourage you today to stop? Stop. There is a God who loves you so much that he came to give you peace. Both that absence of conflict and the abundance of joy. Why not trust him today? If you've never done that, if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, then what I would encourage you to do is right there where you're seated, just say, Jesus, I need you. I know I've been doing things my way, but I, I know you died to forgive me and I, I wanna come into your kingdom. I want a relationship with you. And so today you can follow Jesus. Say, God, I, I wanna trust you. I want real peace. If today you're making that decision and you want to talk with me about it, I'd love to talk with you here in just a minute. I'll be down front. And if you've got questions, I'd love to help answer them. If it's more than we can talk about right now, then stick around after the service and I'd love to talk with you about it. If you're here though this morning and, and you know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, are you still resting in him for peace or are you trying to find it somewhere else? Maybe you've just been looking for that tranquility and, and today you need to say, God, I know I may not feel that right now. So what, help me walk in that flourishing life that you've called me to live. Father, I thank you that you are the God who brings us true peace. I pray that you would open our eyes to what that peace looks like this Christmas. For those who are mourning loss or suffering from loneliness or something else that's got them hurting this Christmas. Would you bring them peace? Not just that inner tranquility, but also that joy, that abundance. And God, for those of us who are maybe in a better season where things are going well, would you help us not to trust in the good moments by themselves, but instead to recognize each of those as a gift from you? and still find our peace and our hope in Jesus and him alone. 
Help us to point people to that hope. Help us to live and walk in it every moment of every day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.